Well, for the second time, morning everyone. Derek, thank you for, for leading and taking us through what's been quite a moving uh, this morning together. It's, it's always amazing, isn't it, to come and to remember those that gave so much for, for, for us. And yet we come this morning to talk about Christ, who paid the ultimate price uh, for us. Thanks to the music group and for Kev at the back as well, all these things uh, that help our service uh, move along. So this morning then we come to Remembrance Sunday. We're going to remember those who have given their lives in sacrifice for their country And ultimately, we've just been reminded of the redeeming sacrifice of Jesus. The Jesus who we're going to learn some more about together this morning as we turn to God's word and read Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 39. Just 10 verses uh, to consider together. So Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 39. And it reads like this. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. And he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. You see, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground and then they took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to to his disciples. And they in turn to the people. You see, then they ate and were satisfied, and after the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, the number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into a boat and went into the vicinity of Magadan. So that is our passage that we're going to consider this morning. Yet one more of these, or rather two more, of these amazing miracles, uh, these events that, that keep cropping up in the book of Matthew. You see, Jesus is at his halfway point at his time on earth. From here on in, he, he continues to head towards the cross, the sole purpose of his coming. He's taken on the Pharisees over their traditions. Uh, a few weeks ago, you heard about the faith of the Canaanite woman. Uh, and now Jesus, walking beside the Sea of Galilee, goes up onto a mountain and sits down. You see, just think about that picture in your mind. Because when you read it, you just think, oh, Jesus walks up onto a mountain and sat down. You know, this was a, it was a climb, it was steep, it was difficult. It's a mountain. You know, mountains are not the easiest of things to walk up, are they? Let's be fair. And so here we have this picture of Jesus taking the time to sit down in a place big enough to hold this crowd of people. So the people who would have been there following Jesus uh, bring their sick and their suffering to him. They come with all manner of major disabilities. And uh, just imagine the scene, this picture of, of Jesus sat on this mountainside with all these uh, desperate people sat at his feet. You see, so these 4,000 men, plus women and children, our passage says, they mounted them with some form of, of disability or illness or ailment, all coming to Jesus. What were they expecting? What were they hoping for? Well, if you do a bit of digging, the answer is there for you. Mark tells us that between the meeting of the Canaanite woman and where they are now, Jesus has healed a deaf man. So now it's obvious 
The people want Jesus to heal them. They want Jesus to do something about the problem that they have. Imagine you are one of the region's sick. You're sitting at home. Let's pretend you're having afternoon tea. A nice, pleasant, few scones, nice cucumber sandwiches, bit of salmon floating around. Great. And somebody says, hey, hey, Jesus in town. Quick, come on, up, bag's packed. Let's go and sort out that leg of yours. And they would have gone off to meet Jesus. They would have gone off to find where Jesus is. Well, let's go and do something about this problem that we have. Let's go and do something about my leg. Let's go and do something about my arm. Let's go and do something about my ear. Let's go and do something about this pain that I have. Hey, what about your sin? What about that problem? Never mind aches and pains. Never mind things that make you feel a bit uncomfortable and wake you up in the night. What about the major problem that we're talking about? That united all of those people, that unites all of us sat in this place, that unites all the people sat in the churches in Moldova, that unites all of the people globally. What about this problem of sin? What are we going to do about that? Well, they come to Jesus, and they come to Jesus in their droves. There's hundreds of them, thousands of them, that they come to Jesus. They are willing to walk big distances to Jesus. They're willing to walk, to leave their homes to come to Jesus. This morning, you have an opportunity to come to Jesus. You don't have to leave your home. You don't have to leave your seat. You have to come to Jesus in faith. An opportunity that you're going to have to do at the end of this message. There is going to be an opportunity to come to Jesus, to let him deal with the problem of sin. So Jesus heals this group of people who are in the days that we're talking about would have been the lowest of the low, who would have lived on the generosity of others and hoping that their families uh, would have helped them. And if they didn't have a family or nobody to help them, then the streets would have been their home. In some cases, they would have been invisible uh, as people just walked on by. Or or what about the ridicule that these people uh, would have faced? Yet now healed, these people have a future. They have an opportunity to work. They have an opportunity to provide for their families. They have an opportunity to be back part of, forgive me for this, normal society as it was in those days. You see, look what Jesus had done in their life. They've been transformed. They've been given a new life, a fresh start. Let me ask you a question. Is that what you're looking for? A new life? A fresh start? To let Jesus deal with the problem of sin? You see, that only comes with starting with a relationship with Christ. It would have been amazing to have been a fly on the wall. I mean, you could probably, let's be fair, you could pick any chapter of the Bible, of any verse, and say, I would like to have been a fly on the wall at that point. We could go around the room, probably, and people that are Christians could put their hands up and say, oh, I'd like to be a fly on the wall when that happened, or I'd like to be a fly on the wall when that happened. We could all do it. But here is one of my fly on the wall moments. When Jesus is healing these people, we hear how Jesus heals people. Sometimes he touched them. Sometimes he made spit and made mud and put it on a man's eyes. Other times he just spoke. Can you imagine? Almost, look, we're British, all right? So let's put it in a British perspective. There they were, all patiently queuing in one nice long line, not moaning or making complaints about how long they're having to wait. They were just there. And And one by one, they came to Jesus. And Jesus healed them. Can your mind really comprehend that? Can mine? 
Can we really get to grips with what that meant for these people? Well, you can. Because it's exactly the same if you give your life to Christ and let him forgive you of your sin. Exactly the same. That weight, that burden lifted off your soldiers. See, it was amazing what they also to hear what they really said when the passage said they went away glorifying the God of Israel. So here are these people. Here are 4,000 people plus women and children, all praising the God of Israel. All praising Jesus. Because the God of Israel is standing right in front of them. You can, if you are, have ever experienced worship where people are praising their God, they're singing, they're reading, they're praying, they're worshipping God. Why? Because God loves them. Because they realize who God is. Because they've had a realization and an understanding of just what Jesus has done for them. Never mind the physicality of it. Healing of their ailments or whatever it may be. But understanding that they have a relationship with Christ. So we move on to um, verses 32 to 39. Jesus calls his disciples to him. And says to them, look at these people. They've been with me for three days and now they have nothing to eat. I don't want them to send them away unless they were faint on the way. So right at the start of this last little section, we're going to look at this word that I'm sure you would have heard before. It's the word compassion. I know I've mentioned it here before. I know I've preached on compassion before. It's an amazing word. Yet the root word of the word compassion means visceral or in the inward parts. That's the, the root word of, of the language of the word compassion. So the ancient people, they thought their, their emotions, their seat of their emotions was in their intestines. If they felt deeply or, uh, about something or they thought about things deeply, uh, the pain would have been so much that they thought it would have been like they'd been kicked in the stomach. You see, that was the Greek. Now, we are in English, fortunately, because I don't know about you, but my Greek is not very good. And we've switched from the intestines to the heart. Now, in a few months' time, it's going to be Valentine's Day. I know we haven't had Christmas yet, but I'm just, you know, for the sake of my message, just run with me, all right? In a few months' time, it's going to be Valentine's Day. And in the Valentine's Day morning, your loved one gives you a card. And in that card, it says, my dearest, insert whatever, I love you with all my intestines. That is the root of the word compassion. But now we have this idea of a heart, that I love you with all my heart. Jesus is moved with compassion towards the people. And their desperate situation, and he calls his disciples to him, his closest followers. Does he need their help to perform that miracle? Come on. We all know the answer is no. He doesn't need their help. But he wants them to be part of it. He wants them to experience it. He wants them to get a grip of what life is like with Jesus. And if you're a Christian here this morning, that's exactly what he's saying to you. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of experiencing life with me. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I want you to be part of it. I want you to let me fix your problem of sin. I want you to come and experience part of exactly what my disciples experienced. Exactly what millions of people around the world have experienced exactly what people in this very building this morning have experienced that walking with
Christ. Jesus is showing his disciples. Remember, part of disciples is being a disciple is also being trained and showing others how to do that work. How do you train people to be compassionate? How do you invite people to show compassion and care? Someone said that compassion is your pain in my heart. See, the Bible says this in Lamentations. It is because of the Lord's loving kindness that we are not consumed. But because of his great compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great and beyond measure is your faithfulness. We're talking about Jesus' compassion on these people the scottish theologian william barclay wrote this that jesus teaches that human need must always be helped that there is no greater task than to relieve someone's pain and distress and the christian's compassion must be like god's unceasing other work may be laid aside but the work of compassion never ceases so we get our lessons from jesus that we are to be a compassionate people just as he was to us. Just as he wants to be to us. Jesus' life, his public life at least, was made up of selfless acts. And the ultimate act of selflessness is the cross. That was compassion in action. The ultimate example of compassion in action. That we all have this problem of sin. The, the times that we disobey God, the times that we ignore God, the times that we pretend God simply doesn't exist. And yet we realize, have you realized that Jesus came to die for your sin? That was his compassion. That was his selfless act of compassion. You see, the people have been with Jesus for three days. They've seen the miracles. They've heard him teach. They've, they've seen him astound people with his words. And Jesus doesn't want them to go hungry. That's fair enough. That's what any good host would do. And so the disciples say to Jesus, where are we going to buy bread out here? Where are we going to get that from? You know, there's no mountain and sun's bakery. There's nothing. What are we going to do? And yet your mind, if you understand the story and have read the Bible a bit more, is, is the fact that Jesus has already done this before. They've forgotten the point. They've missed it. Jesus has already fed 5,000 people, men plus women and children. You see, let's just get it absolutely clear that this lesson is for those of us that are Christians. If we follow Jesus' example, sometimes we forget who we are following. There are times that we forget who we are following. The disciples didn't learn the lesson in trusting Christ the first time. Uh, so they didn't, expect, they didn't expect him to do it the second time. We don't always learn our lesson when it comes to trusting God. They had seen Jesus do it before. Yet if they weren't so fickle, they would have realized completely that Jesus would have done it again. And one of them would have said something like this. All right, okay, Lord, yeah, we know you're not, you don't want to send them away hungry. Uh, I've seen some, some bread uh, and some fish over there. I'll go and get it. You do your thing and it will all be fine. That's the responsibility of it. That's the trust of it, isn't it? When, when, when Jesus calls us to do something in our life, when God says we want you to do something in your life, there comes a point where we just have to say, okay, over to you. It might be big, it might be little, it doesn't know what it is. That, But we have to get to grips with the fact that when God says I want you to do something, do it. 
when you really feel that God is saying, I want you to do this for me. Take that step for me. I want you to think back to these disciples who saw Jesus feed 9,000 people or 9,000 men plus umpteen women and children and yet they still doubted. Don't be like that. When you put your trust in God to guide you through a situation, when you feel that God is speaking to you, and interestingly, we're going to look at how God speaks and the importance of God speaking tonight. So you can come and find out, can't you? That's a little bit of shameless plug-in in the middle of my sermon, but there we are. And here is this example of disciples following Jesus. And when you follow Jesus as a Christian, when you follow what God is saying, hold on to the fact that you need to trust God and that you can trust God. Because you could read the Bible from Genesis 1 to Amen at the end of Revelation, and I can guarantee you one thing. You will not find a time when God broke his promise. Ever. So if, God, if you really feel that God is speaking to you and telling you to do something, go for it. You see, there are times when we cannot see beyond the situation that we face. Whatever life throws at you, we put our faith and our trust in God, and he brings us through it. I can say that with confidence. I can say that with 10 days worth of experience of being able to trust God, of not going, of walking into somebody's house and not knowing what to expect, of walking into a church, of meeting somebody on a street corner and not knowing what to expect. The word program, there is no word for program, I think, in Romanian. I think they just guess. That's my experience of it anyway. That there is, you, you just get up in the morning and whatever the day brings. Yet there is an ultimate trust in God. There should be. Please, if you feel like I'm banging a drum at this and I'm doing what I meant to, what I want to do, that there needs to be that trust in God completely, complicitly, and wholeheartedly. You see, Jesus wants all of us, just as he did with those people, to go away full this morning. To go away full. Not half empty, half full, not optimist, not pessimist, not whatever, but full, completely. Full to the point where we realise that God is in control. That we go away reinvigorated, refreshed, alive, not dead. There's no room for dead spiritual Christians. We need to be people that are alive and awake and following on what God has said. So I want you this morning to go away recharged, refreshed, reinvigorated, and realizing that when Christ is your Lord and Savior, no matter what life throws at you, he'll take you through it. We can go around this church and pick out people that have been majorly ill, that have lost family members, that have suffered job losses, that have suffered major financial difficulties. We could go on and on and on and on and on. And yet every single time, we can come back to the fact that there are people in this place this morning who have held on to the hand of their God and he's led them through it. We don't know what life is going to be like. We don't know what the future is going to hold. Yet we know that we can hold on to God's hand. You see, or if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I want you this morning to take the opportunity to repent and reach out for God's hand and let him do something about your sin. He did it when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. You see, the lesson in the passage is this, that Jesus is dealing with our physical needs, but there also needs to be dealing with our spiritual needs. 
by being full of Jesus or knowing his Holy Spirit lives within you, is being full and ready for the journey ahead. If this morning you put your faith and your trust in Christ, then you start a new life, on a new road, a new walk. And for a while, yes, there might be times when you need topping up to carry on the next part of your journey. Whatever it may be, be reminded that Jesus is sufficient for all our needs. There are two types of people in this world, those who have hope and those who need hope. Yet the hope is exactly the same, and that hope needs to be Christ. That is one of the responsibilities of the church, to help people in need. People who walk through that door empty and broken. People who you look at and they look like they are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. And you see, Jesus saw there these people in need and he healed them and he fed them. And when we see people in need, we should have what? Compassion and love on them. Just as Jesus did for us. You see, Jesus feeds these people with, four, with, with seven loaves and a few small fish. He supplied their physical needs of healing and now has prepared them for their journey ahead. Jesus fed and nourished the people. These people were Gentiles. I mentioned the feeding of the 5,000. It was done in a Jewish county. Jesus fed and nourished and satisfied Jew and Gentile alike. And this morning, he wants to satisfy you. Completely. To be full up of Jesus. You see, verse 37 says this, They ate and the people were full and satisfied. They were full and satisfied and ready for their journey home. Are we? Are we full? Are you? Am I full and satisfied? Are we satisfied with Christ to make our journey home? Does Christ fill us enough to make our journey or are we still empty? We running on fumes, the needles on red and we're spluttering. Or are we still empty and broken and separate from God because of our sin? If you've never put your trust in, in Christ this morning, make that change today. Allow Jesus into your life. As I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it at the end of my talk, the end that we are rapidly approaching. If we have a relationship with Christ, is it a full one? Is it so full and overflowing in Christ's grace and mercy that if a mosquito was to bite us, it would go away saying there is power in the blood? It's a stupid analogy, but it makes a very serious point. Are we so full of Jesus? Are we so full in our relationship with Christ? In our actions, in our words, in our reactions. Remember, we are Christ's representatives on earth. We are Christ's ambassadors. Are we full of Jesus? Are we reading? Are we praying? Are we holding on to God's word? Are we waiting for him to speak? Just as Elijah did in the mountain, are we listening for that still, small voice? So I leave you with this. A man, a man called Alfred Edersheim observed that the Lord ended each phase of his ministry with feeding. He ended his ministry in Galilee with feeding of the 5,000. He ended his Gentile ministry with the feeding of 4,000. He ended his Judean ministry before his death on the cross with the feeding of his own disciples in the upper room. You see, all these times where Jesus completely satisfied the people they were all united by one thing. None of them were worthy. None of them. None of us here this morning are worthy. 
We're all sinners. We're all broken. We've all done and said stuff wrong. We've all broken God's law. None of us are worthy. And none of us deserved what Jesus is willing to give. The only requirement that Jesus makes is this. Come. Just as you are. You can leave your pomp and circumstance. You can leave everything behind you. And come to Jesus. You see... The people exercised faith. They turned up. They showed up to be healed by Jesus. They showed up at Jesus' table and they received kindness, grace, mercy, love, nourishment and satisfaction, forgiveness and hope, all because they have come to Jesus and they've sat at his feet. You want to be truly satisfied with your life? Truly content with life? Give your life to Christ. Turn away from your sin. Repent and turn God's way. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And next he took the cup and they drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of a new and everlasting covenant which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus feeds us with exactly what we need. And the greatest gift he ever gave and the most important thing he ever did for us was the sacrifice he made on the cross. Why? Because he's compassionate. Why? Because he was interested in healing 4,000 men plus women and children. Why? Because he is interested in having a relationship with you and me. Why do Christians love Jesus? Because he loved us first. That's the simple reason. We love because we were loved. Loved that is without measure and without compare. And all we have to do is accept the gift that he gives and allow him to fill us and for us to be satisfied. So the feeding of the 4,000, the healing of the lame, two of the most amazing miracles that Jesus did. We've heard how Jesus has healed these people of their ailments, of their illnesses. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to let Jesus heal you of your sin. And this is how we're going to do it. We're all going to stand and we're going to pray. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if this morning you say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, it's something you've never done before. Or even if you have, but you weren't really sure, I want you to repeat what I say line by line. We're going to take it nice and slowly. If you want to repeat it out loud, you repeat it out loud. If you want to repeat it in your heart, you repeat it in your heart. But this morning is your opportunity to let Jesus fill you completely, to let him do something about this problem of your sin and restore the relationship with God. So let's stand together and let's pray. So as I said, we're going to pray a very simple prayer. Nothing flamboyant, nothing clever. Just a simple, honest prayer before God this morning. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, then take this opportunity. Repeat what I say. Make my words your own. And mean them wholeheartedly before God. Let's pray. Our Lord God and Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross for us. 
Thank you that he loved us. Thank you that he had compassion on us. Thank you that you want a relationship with us. Lord, we are indebted to you. We are a sinful people. A people broken and stained by sin. And Lord, now I ask that you will come into my life. Lord, I apologize. I'm sorry for the wrong things that I've done. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you will take my life and be my king. I give my all to you. Thank you for knocking on the door of my heart. Lord, I welcome you. I want to start a new life with you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to stay standing. And while our eyes are closed, if you took that step of faith with Jesus this morning, please raise your hand so only I can see. I'm going to ask everyone else to keep uh, their eyes closed. Just... I'm going to leave you a moment just to sit and think, to stand and think. And if you really prayed that prayer this morning, just ask that you will uh, now raise your hand uh, so any eye can see. Okay, thank you very much. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that it's challenged people uh, to make a commitment. Lord, to... Uh, to really want to give their lives to you. And Lord, now as we each have taken this opportunity to remember those who have fallen in service of their country, Father, we give you thanks for them, for their willingness to die so that we might be free. And this morning we, Lord, can come as your people and say thank you to Jesus for his willingness to come and to die and to be for, for our freedom. Lord, we... Also, now, it will be remiss of us not to thank you for Ron and for the life that he has led. Lord, we thank you that he now enjoys your presence and enjoys your glory. Lord, for those that remain, it hurts and it's hard. Yet, Lord, we thank you and praise you that you know us more and better than we know ourselves. And, Lord, you will never leave us nor forsake us, no matter how hard life gets. So, Lord, we pray for the family. We ask your blessing on them, Father, be with all that take part tomorrow. And we will thank you and praise you for a man who loved his Saviour and now enjoys his company. In Jesus' name, amen. So, ladies and gents, uh